Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty of this day, and thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your revelation, that you have restored to us a vision of the Father in you and in the deeds and the words that you have brought. And you have also, Lord, restored to us a vision of creation, of what it means to be man and woman, so that we can better reflect you in this world to the glory of your Father and you as the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, may this be more and more manifest in us, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yesterday was an interesting day for me. For those of you who know us on social media, um, so I guess that's one way we know each other these days, but um, you might have picked up that we had a couple adventures um, in our household. Uh, one was that Evan, uh, where are you, Evan? I don't see him. Oh, there he is. He's got his arm in a sling. And um, he slipped on uh, the stairs on his way up and threw his left shoulder out of joint. So we couldn't figure out how to pull it back in. And uh, we tried to reach Doc, but Doc was, I think he was shopping, I think I heard. <laughs> and uh, so we had to call the, the EMTs and then they took him in and he was without any painkiller. They reset his shoulder. So I'm really grateful for that. And, uh, and then Jeannie ended up going to the emergency room later. She had her own little um, flare-up of something and, um, in her ankle, and it, it seemed kind of scary, so we said, well, we better check that out too, and, um, and the Lord took care of that. But what it did for me is it just kind of like radiated in my mind that there's, there's a lot of life that is very precious to me that I actually feel responsible for. And that I want to appreciate and, and tend to it and care for it. I mean, these dear ones who my wife and my oldest son yesterday seemed to be in some jeopardy or pain, you know. I was aware of that. And um, it kind of hit me, too, that life is precious and it's short. What was really weird um, at the end of the day was I, I realized all of a sudden that yesterday was October 13th. I did not know that when I woke up that morning. Now, that means nothing to you, but that means a, a lot to me. In my own mind, um, October 13th is a, a very symbolic day for me because um, one of my mentors in life, and I shared a little bit of this with the men's ministry yesterday morning, but I still didn't know it was October 13th when I shared this, literally. We were talking a little bit about what it means to be a man, which is my subject this morning. And, um, and I thought about my mentor, his name was Bob Khalil. He was my uh, youth sponsor for the youth group that I grew up in in New York at Grace Conservative Baptist Church. And uh, Bob was just a great guy. I mean, he was a guy who, um, who had a sense of like innate authority about him. Like he had some gravitas and I wanted to listen to what he said, but he was so personal. He could like, he, he, he would get to know you and then kind of customize how he would bring all the goodness that he had to bring to you. And, and he would so attend to you that you feel like, man, he, this guy knows me, and he cares for me. And so he has a real power to bless in, in such a, a beautiful way. And so I wanted to follow Bob. I would, you know, and Bob ta taught me the word. Bob loved the word of God. And he loved me. And um, every Wednesday night we had our Bible studies. And often after he dropped me off, because he would drive me back and forth on Wednesday nights and then eventually leave when he became part of the, the youth group as well. 
uh, we would sit in our driveway for like half hour, 45 minutes, and he would teach me more about what it meant for me to actually be a responsible disciple of Jesus. He would spend that time with me. And I would struggle through, you know, the, the young teenage powers that are just coming up in your body. I mean, that's overwhelming uh, for those of us who have been through it. And God bless you guys who are just at the beginning of it. We're with you. <laughs> I pray that uh, you have some bobs in your life. But, but Bob would speak to me about how do you take responsibility for all these, these things that are starting to emerge in your life that, that so easily overturn the apple cart of your life, that so easily upset your life and bring chaos into play, you know? And he would, he would so lovingly and tenderly show me how I could, in the spirit, in truth, begin to not be overcome by these things. Oh, but this girl, I like her. I, no, I love her. She must be it, you know? But he's like, well, calm down. <laughs> the Lord is with you. I'm right here to make sure you know. And um, so we would be sitting there in his car, and all of a sudden he'd look at his clock, and it would be 10, 10, 13. He'd say, man, that's weird. He always, he always thought that was weird. He said, Eric, twice a day this happens to me. I just happen to look at the clock, and it's 10, 13. Now I think, who knows what that was really about. But what he said was, that's my birthday. That's my birthday, October 13. And he said, I, I realize how precious life is. And, and it just makes me realize um, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta take care. Uh, life is short. One of the reasons Bob thought life was short is because he had been responsible for the death of somebody. When he was very young, first getting his license, somehow he wasn't fully attentive to something that was going on in the road and he killed a little boy. Just devastating. Just devastating. It's one of the reasons he came to the Lord because like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the, the sense of responsibility that when you weren't paying attention when you actually weren't fully responsible and you were exercising power and somebody else was hurt because you didn't take responsibility, you weren't fully attentive. And so he, he knew so deeply how precious life was. He would tell me, he would say, there's this psalm, Eric, it's one of my favorite psalms, it's Psalm 90, and it's, you know, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom so we can live in keeping with the value of real things in keeping with the value of life. I think what we see with Adam is somebody who, at least at the beginning, is valuing life. He's seeing it, he's attending to it, he's taking responsibility for it, and he's being what a man is supposed to be. If I wanna like, get it down to just a nutshell, like I think what being a man means is just take responsibility. And there's other authority that comes with that too, I think. But we'll learn more about this in a couple weeks when I talk about the relationship between man and woman. This is, as we see in our gospel, the kind of authority that Jesus portrays and wants us to re-enter into. Yeah, it's an authority that understands that there's a way of living, it's a way, there's a way of governance, right? Like just as Bob was trying to help me with all of my youthful passions to govern those, there's a way of governance that is real, but it's not a lording it over kind of governance. It's not an oppressive, crushing kind of governance. It's a governance that takes all of this life and attends to it as it really is and figures out how to nurture it and figures out how to bless it and figures out how to incorporate it and make sense of it according to its proper place in life. 
Like our sexuality, right? That's the one that upends us all the time in life. Sexuality is a beautiful thing within the corridor of life that God has given to it. Um, Eating is a really good thing within the corridor of life that God has given to it. And it has its place and it has its time. And when we honor it according to where it's supposed to be, that's wisdom. When we honor it according to how God set it up, that's when we're actually listening to the word and we're carrying it out. That's when we're actually being responsible, okay? Now, a lot of what I just said is stuff that men and women should take to heart, right? So a lot of what I'm saying, women don't shut down because I'm talking about manhood this, this week, right? There's, there's this interesting thing about men and women that really so much of what I say about both, you could, you could see it this way, is that we're really together carrying out the ordering and the blessing of creation for great creativity and, and the glory of God together, right? And, and um, one of the things that, that I've learned recently is that male and female brains actually are different. Who knew, you know? <laughs> and, and the science is actually confirming that they are actually different. Um, now, they're not all equally and rigidly uniformly different. Like every single man and woman isn't different in exactly the same way. But we know, having studied now and done tons of MRIs, thousands, I don't know, hundreds of thousands probably MRIs at this point, that we know that the brains are actually different on balance, statistically speaking. There's standard deviation differences, and I don't even know what that means. But at least a quarter of a standard deviation in significant ways, that's probably really important. I don't know exactly why, but I trust those guys who are numbers people. And they say that there's actually these differences, but they're actually strengths. They're strengths that we need to tap in fully and figure out how to get them working together again, okay? So that's just a little bit of a caveat, and I'll probably want you to remember that for next week when we talk about what what womanhood looks like in, in the Bible and how that's supposed to be expressed. Because so much of this only makes sense when we really come together. Um, when you see Adam being alone, um, part of what needs to happen is there needs to be a manifestation of the image of God that really only completely appears when Eve is there by his side. And then you have a living manifestation of the image of God in male and female together, okay? But I do want to spend a little bit of time just unpacking this responsibility that I'm seeing in Adam. He's somebody who pays attention, careful attention, He listens to the words that God gave him about the garden. And the idea of Adam and ultimately Eve as she is made on that sixth day is that Adam is, he's drawn up out of the ground and he's breathed down from on high from the actual mouth of God. And he's this creature who occupies this space between earth and heaven, okay? And I kind of talked a little bit about this in different words last week. I said, Men and women are supposed to be royal priests. I mean, we're supposed to be co-regents in a temple garden, which is paradise. And that temple garden in the original creation has three categories, if you will. It's got the, the heavens, and then it's got the heavens below, and then it's got the earth. It's like a three-part ordered creation. It's the heavens above, which is that celestial space in which God and the divine beings occupy. And Adam is made just a little bit lower than those divine beings, right? And we're meant to be the priests and the, the, uh, the regents, the monarchs, if you will, that together 
mediate this incredible creation that's, that's, that's full of God's presence, it's earth, it's sky, and it's heaven, right? This three-part reality. And in the Garden of Eden, you see in that temple that three-part reality. By the way, this is repeated throughout Scripture. So you see this in the tabernacle, you see this in the temple, you see this in Revelation. You see this three-part reality of where God is, of where the heavens are, and where earth is. And, and man, and this was restored ultimately in Jesus, is supposed to be in this space and taking the earth and more and more taking the earth and bringing it into relationship with God. So this is incredible reality that Adam and Eve are set in the midst of as male and female monarch and priest together. Um, one thing I, I could say too that may be worth saying at the outset is that I am not a, I'm not a traditionalist in the sense of like, um, I already talked about the lording it over thing, you know? Um, a lot of times I think when we hear the word patriarchy, we think of the 1950s, right? Uh, just banish that from your head. <laughs> banish that from your mind. But I do want to say that there's a kind of authority that Adam and Eve have. I mean, I don't believe that this world is going to be healthy, and it is not healthy, right? I mean, we've been seeing it going on in Congress. We're seeing it going on in the different churches right now. When male and female aren't fully healthy, operating together in a genuine patriarchy and matriarchy, which they can't operate in isolation if they are going to do it at all. They have to cooperatively, collaboratively, colloquially, conversationally, all these togetherness words. They have to do it somehow together, really honoring and respecting, celebrating the different ways that man and woman reflect the image of God and carry out his order in this three-part universe that was broken at the fall and what Jesus is now restoring through, the, through himself and the church. So one of the things that you notice about Adam is that as he's in the middle of this creation, before Eve is made, he, um, God does this really cool thing. Or he's, he's like, I want to see what Adam's going to name all these creatures. Um, I don't know why that just that tickles me, you know. Like Adam made, I mean, God made this entire creation in this garden, and, um, and he, he sets Adam in the garden, and he's like, I want to see what he's going to name all these different creatures and how he's going to understand reality. And there's the, the word in there has this connotation of like Adam names all these things, and, and those were the names, but it's kind of like he understands the categories. He gets these different aspects of creation, these different design principles that are playing themselves out in reality. He sees the category, and he knows it, and he celebrates it, and it's good. So he kind of, at his level, is echoing what God is saying every single day. God orders time, seven days per week, and in each of those time, he's, each of those days, rather, he's, he's setting in to place different categories of being, and then eventually in the second half of creation, he starts to fill it in, Right? And life starts to grow within that structure. But Adam notices the structure. And he says the structure. And he names it. He's getting the categories. He's kind of getting it. And God is pleased with this. But God knows that Adam needs a helper that's fit for him. And he also wants Adam, at some level, to appreciate that fact too. And so while 
um, Adam is looking at all these other creatures, he, he begins to realize there was not one who was fit for him. I, um, I think God wanted Adam to realize what was missing. I think he wanted him to realize, yeah, it's not good to be alone. It's not good for you to operate individually that way. He wanted to awaken that awareness. He wanted Adam to attend, in a sense, to something that was missing so that he could appreciate its infilling and its filling in, which is what Eve embodied. So I see with Adam a couple of things. Like Adam is asked to really pay attention, and he does, and he gets it, and he understands the structure. He understands the differences. He understands things that are true in creation that he would like to be true in himself that's missing. So there's a special kind of attention there to what is and what God also might bring about. Jesus talks about us as friends in the gospel, right? He says, I've actually invited you into my plan. You actually know what I'm thinking and what I'm planning to do, and you're a friend. And I think what we see there with Adam is that is God's participating, I mean, God's inviting Adam to participate and realize with him part of what his plan is, is to bring Eve into being, to be his perfect companion, and for him then to be her perfect companion. And uh, he's revealing it to him, and Adam pays attention, and so he gets it. Um, the fall happens, right? Oh, let me say one other thing, by the way. So this paying attention thing leads to, ultimately, Eve is presented, and we didn't read that passage, we had it last week, and I wish we could do all the scripture readings, but it's just too much. <laughs> so Eve is presented to him, and he's like, ah, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he's so excited, he breaks out in, in a poem, and it's a romantic poem, and it's, it's a praise, it's a celebration. He's exercising, in a way, a priestly kind of a, worship, a worshipful kind of expression. And by the way, Paul is saying he wants us all to carry that kind of thing out again when he says, I want you to come to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? I want you to see what is. I want you to see what God has so created, and I want you to once again enter into that. According to its kind, honor it. According to its value, honor it. Celebrate it. Sing it. Poetize it. Worship God in that, right? We talked a lot about that last week. And Eve is the pinnacle of that. She's the ultimate. If Adam, in a sense, is the glory of God, then, then Eve is the glory of the glory. She is the ultimate, final expression of the creation of the image bearer, of male and female who bear the image of God. And so Adam is celebrating, and he's recognizing Eve, and he's recognizing himself simultaneously, all of a sudden, manifestation of God in earth. And they, together, can do what God commanded man to do. What was that command? Directly to Adam, he's called to, to cultivate and to protect the garden. He's called to do what he's been doing, to see and notice the life that's growing before him and to gather it in. And he can use a lot of the plants for food. He can tend to the trees as, as an arborist. He can shepherd the animals as a shepherd. But he's also supposed to protect, and he's supposed to guard. He's supposed to make sure that the temple maintains its sanctuary. It's supposed to be a safe place so growth can happen. It's supposed to be a holy place so we can remain connected to God. 
And that growth, I mean, that place is supposed to expand, and he and Eve together are supposed to do that. And Eve comes in, and she begins to collaborate with him. She's, she's right there on mission with him. And you see her participating in that. She's gathering fruit for the enjoyment of the creation. And um, what starts to happen, though, is at a certain point, the enemy comes in. The enemy is, is the great tempter. He's the one who introduces death through deception. And Eve is deceived. Adam wasn't deceived, by the way. Eve was deceived. And Adam fell. He heard the word directly. But what strikes me most of all in the story of the fall is that Adam wasn't paying attention. Adam was right there with her. You look at the, you read the text of the the Genesis story of the fall, and it's pretty clear. Adam's with her the entire time. He stopped paying attention. I don't know what's going on. That, That incredible response where he sees Eve and he is so overjoyed. He's taking responsibility and offering up praise to God and celebrating her. He's seeing her and, and, and saying, wow, thank you, praise the Lord. What happened? What, what happened? All of a sudden, he goes from this place of incredible connection where he's so attentive and he's so able to take responsibility in relationship to this place where, I don't know, he's just asleep at the wheel. Eve is having this conversation with the serpent, and he says nothing. I, I think one of the, the things that I'm, 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 uh, I'm aware of right now is that I, th- I think that's happening a lot right now in our culture. Is that it, it, it's, probably, it's probably in some ways very hard for men to emerge into taking responsibility um, because now what's going on is that sometimes people don't like it when you take responsibility, even if it's not kind of like weird controlling authority that's lording it over authority. But even now, it's like, it's a little ambivalent. Our culture is a little ambivalent about a man coming in and taking any kind of responsibility. So that's, that's, that's working against men coming forward. I mean, there's this whole thing right now where there's actual organizations that have gathered it together about how men are not going to, like, we're not going to even try anymore. Sad. Um, I don't even want to belabor that, but I think it's hard in our culture right now for men to reemerge and take some responsibility. But um, if we don't, I think that it's a form of ab- abandonment. It's, it's us not carrying out our version of reflecting the image of God as men. It's us not seeing and naming and celebrating. And one of the things that was so great for me about Bob was that Bob saw who I was and he could say, Eric, this is how I see you. You have these gifts and you are called to do this, I think. You have to pray and discern. But this is what what I'm seeing and it's great and I love that about you. He could see that and celebrate that. And that voice That voice that speaks truly is a very masculine form of taking responsibility. And and Bob would do things. He would would see it, he would name it, and he would celebrate it, and he would encourage it. He would sometimes even sing it. He really did what Paul talks about all of us doing. Bring those words of encouragement, and Bob would would do that. And um, I think what's sad is that 
more and more that's absent, but I think that that's actually what God right now is trying to call forth once again from men, to participate once again in this way, to engage in this way, to actually take responsibility and get involved. Um, one of the things that you might be able to say about um, Adam is that he gets the word directly from God about not eating of the tree of the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He gets that word directly and he passes that on to Eve. Um, and he sees Eve and he sees creation and he has kind of this, like, I guess you could say it's almost like an objective kind of knowing. It's an external way of knowing, okay? He sees something outside of himself and then he goes to it and he blesses it. He recognizes it, he blesses it so that it can be cultivated. And it's kind of an external objective knowledge. I think it goes off the rails, however, when it's objectifying. You see the distinction? I mean, we, we, talk to, we talk about the objectification of women a lot in this culture, and it happens all the time, where all of a sudden, a woman who should be this wondrous, actually divine reflection that we honor and we respect and we attend to as a co-regent has all of a sudden become an object. And we wonder what we might get from that or what they're like, but there's not this personal engagement anymore, like we saw initially with Adam. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then they're partnered up together. And there's an equal dignity to both. And so something has happened in Adam's process where he's lost the sense of Eve's personal dignity and the fact that she's actually there to collaborate with him. I don't know what happened. He fell asleep we have an attention deficit in our culture, and man, do I, I get it. I get, I get how hard it is to pay attention, and there's so many things that are distracting. And then, and then you, you, within men, you know, you've got your own passions to deal with. I think even within us, we have to figure out how to take responsibility. And the only way we can do it is through the Holy Spirit. If we want to become the men that Adam was originally designed and created and enabled to be, then we really need the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then I think we'll be able to pay attention. And then I think we'll be able to take responsibility in such a way that it's not lording it over people. Then I think we'll be able to ta- uh, pay attention in such a way that we actually honor the dignity of woman and we, we name it and we bless it and we celebrate it and then together we worship the Lord. Um, The Lord brought this home to me in a really um, interesting way. This idea of taking responsibility for ourselves is where it has to start. Taking responsibility for our own passions and appetites is where it has to start. And that's going to make you feel really helpless, okay? You're going to feel like, I don't have the power, say, to control my eating habits or my drinking habits or my sexuality. I don't have the power to do that. And that's a really honest truth, but you need to take responsibility for it. And that needs to bring you to a place of, Lord, I need your help. Jesus, I need your help. You're the one who's reconnected me to heaven and in my earthiness and in the power of the Spirit, I can re-enter into that authority that actually governs all these things and takes all these passions and the appetites and it releases them into goodness rather than destruction. I need your help, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. But we have to take responsibility. One of the ways that the Lord drove this home to me, and um, 
I apologize, I'm going a little bit long here this morning. These are big things, so I'm struggling through how to do it efficiently. Maybe I'll get better in the, in the future, I don't know. Um, I, was, um, I woke up a little bit late one morning, I slept in. I don't know if you guys can see this. This is actually the window of the window right beside my bed. My wife has um, kindly set up um, a sleeping arrangement for me right next to a window, which I, I just love. And this particular morning, it was kind of cold, and um, that's a shattered window right beside my bed. <laughs> and there's glass on my bed. Uh, so I'm just going to read my journal entry because what happened was I put my foot through that in the morning, okay? So I'm just going to read this to you as quickly as possible. And um, so, so bear with me. It's, it's, I, I think it's memorable enough to share it with you, but it's, it, I, it conveyed to me, like, take responsibility. Take responsibility. So I was in this late morning dream state. I'm sitting at a high chair at a, at a, you know, a stand-up, like a, a tall desk, a stand-up desk, the kind of desk that I've always believed um, is the platform for doing, any, doing anything worthwhile. So the, it's the kind of desk that like Thomas Jefferson stood at, and did really important creative things. So anyway, I'm in this ground level shaded area at the back of a house that I think I own, and it's, um, there's this stand-up desk that I'm at, and it's like, there's this space, it's like a, it's covered a little bit, almost like a carport, it's a little bit shaded, it's the back of a basement looking out into a green yard, and I'm standing at this desk and I'm working. It's a very creative thing that I'm undertaking to do. And um, so I'm at this desk, and next to me is this um, boy of between 10 and 13 years old. I'm not exactly sure how old he is. He has his own stand-up desk, but keeps messing with stuff on my desk. He's interfering with my productivity and concentration. And I'm increasingly irritated, frustrated, mad that some authority who's responsible for this young, immature one could so fail to take charge of and rein in this child. It's really frustrating. And I come to realize that his father is actually at his own desk, slightly back in the dark and to the right, and he's doing nothing productive himself. He's just looking around irreverently, mercurially, mercurially. It's like mischievously, you know? He's even laughing at his son's intemperance. Oh, that makes me mad. And I challenge him, come on, man, aren't you going to do something about your son? It does not help him to so ignore the distraction and destruction that he's wreaking. His father is like this flat, this fat slob of a guy. His name is Bob. I apologize to those of you who are named Bob. Um, He's a bigoted, rebellious, undisciplined, disdainful um, guy who's, he's disdainful of anyone who even wants to pursue good. And I I actually feel like there's a demonic impulse behind that deception, behind that attitude. And then I noticed that he has a brother who's a little further back behind him, nearer to the house wall, which is made, like, it's like this wet cinder blocks, and it's, you know, he's back there further in the darkness, and he's also undisciplined, distracting, disdainful, destructive. I think his name's Doug. <laughs> I'm not sure. So these slovenly corruptions of manhood, they now, they, like, slowly climb down off their stools, and it's kind of, like, threatening, you know? And then my ire gets raised. I can't let this go unaddressed. They're complicit in the destruction of a young man, a young boy. And it's actually now getting in the way of my own creativity. So I get down from my stool. And I turn to face the father on the left while keeping the brother on my right in my peripheral vision. 
And my anger at this point is a righteous anger and it's resolute, okay? These irresponsible men, these careless, ignorant, narcissistic, bigoted men who should be cultivating goodness in their offspring, they will now feel my just wrath. I am become a minister of righteous, talionic justice, a mediator of godly consequence for these belligerent, stubborn, ignorant, indulgent ones. The thing that comes to mind is that I'm a backwoods Lord High executioner, and it feels good. I had this uncanny, like bodily reaction to all of this infuriating nonsense. And like I have a muscle memory. It starts to take like ninja form. And I become an activated weapon. I feel my arms going up like, like a praying mantis in, in finger pointing curved attack aimed towards the father. And then my left leg, I'm sorry, left leg rises slowly in an irreversible launch sequence for devastating impact. And then to my own shock and surprise, I jump from my right leg, releasing a left head kick that I know is going to land a decisive blow upon this negligent dad's noggin. It's a really, really powerful ninja move. This clean, exhilarating power, it just courses through my entire body. And I'm now, I'm actually like in slow motion, you know, and I'm aware, I'm like midair, I'm in this man-happy ecstasy. And... Um, I just can't believe I have this martial mastery. I don't know if you guys have seen Chuck, but it's like the intersect has just kicked in. If you've ever watched that show called Chuck. I, I'm wondering, is this like a charismatic gift, you know? It, or is this just, I actually have this expertise. Um, and I'm realizing, okay, don't get pri prideful. Um, calm down. Um, but all of a sudden, it returns from the slow motion to real time, and I release this powerful airborne kick to the negligent fa father, and it is shattering and I wake to the sound of shattering glass in real life. And my, my window is millionized by my, beside my bed and all over my bed. And, and um, I'm thankful that I have no lacerations. I have no idea what happened to Bob. It was such a rude awakening. Um, but um, my wife, of course, is like, what? what is going on? And she starts laughing hysterically, uncontrollably, which is not a very good feeling. Um, <laughs> and. Um, but what I, what I realize is that, um, I, I think in some ways what, what I was realizing is that the Lord was in my own heart saying, you still have these really undisciplined parts of your soul. You still have these really uncontrolled, unregulated impulses in your own life. And you need to take some decisive action. You do. And if you do, I want you to know that muscle memory is going to kick in and the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you. And you will be able to deal with these things. Okay? I feel like that's what the Lord's saying to us as men. Is if we will begin to take some responsibility for these ways in which we are so immature, in which we've taken advantage, in which we've objectified other people, in which we've not taken responsibility, we've not paid attention. If we'll just take responsibility, the Lord is going to honor that and he's going to inspire us with his Holy Spirit for a powerful redemption. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you alone were able to restore humanity. You alone were able to reconnect heaven and earth. And now you've invited us into this through your blood and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning that men would repent. I pray this morning that we would take heart 
I pray this morning that we would take responsibility. I pray this morning that we would once again renew ourselves in your word, Lord Jesus. In all the words that are about life, in all the categories of life that are meant to be released for a great fruitfulness and a blessing of woman. We pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.